You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Live from the Sixth and Peabody Studio and across the Outkick Network. This is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 is underway. Wednesday edition is here. Plenty to hop right into in regards to the NFL, college football, and more. Bobby Carpenter of SiriusXM. Outkicks. College football contributor will join us in about 20 minutes. Looking forward to that conversation as always. We'll get his early thoughts on the college football playoff and much more. Clay Travis also on the show today. Uh, the fearless leader with us. Uh, that's coming up in hour number three. Chad, good afternoon. Hutton, I'm in a festive mood today. Really? I'm walking around 6th and Peabody out in the bar oh. room area. And I look up on the gigantic yes. TV in the middle of the room. I know, yes. And Home Alone is Home, playing. Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Home Alone 2, <laughs> Lost in New York. I just looked up and saw uh, a Kathleen O'Hara, I believe, is the actress. Yep. I saw her on the screen, and I knew it was one of the Home Alones. It's the only thing I saw. And then they're, they're playing the holiday music throughout 6th and Peabody. Um, it makes me want to take a shot of that 130-proof moonshine oh, really? just to warm me up a little bit more. Like Fox uh, Business. Yeah, our guy, our guy Mark from Fox Business, he got the, the grand tour earlier. <laughs> so he had a little bit of that. We've had it before, uh, but I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm fired up. You know, I've threatened it many times, but maybe I'll take one of these cherries that's dipped in moonshine here today and just down this entire bottle on air. <laughs> at, at, at some point, it's going to be the day. That's Have I told you the story about my buddy Frank in college, uh, in my fraternity? In every band party we had, at the University of Tennessee. The, the guy that Every dares? time he would wait until I was talking to a group of girls. Okay. And Frank would come up to me and just stand about two feet from my face. And he would have his full beer oh. in a red solo cup. And he would slowly <laughs> threaten to pour it on my head. And he's looking me through my soul, right <laughs> into my eyes the entire time. And he's doing this number, and it's just getting closer and closer. And I'm looking at him laughing, thinking, you're not going to do this, Frank. It's not going to happen. Never going to happen. You know, the girls that I was talking to ran off, maybe because of me, maybe because of Frank. We don't know. We'll never know. But they ran off when Frank did that. And then our senior year, one of the last parties we had, Frank put the entire beer right on top of my head. It was an amazing long con. The, I mean, to have that long prank going that way and then to pay it off in the end, it was beautifully done by my buddy Frank. Withrow has threatened uh, to do things on the air twice in regards to food. Um, once, hot dog eating contest yep. we had what about a decade ago um, where I don't know what the challenge was, but you, you down like... The challenge was I was hungry and wanted to eat a lot of hot dogs. So yeah, we down like 20 of these or something. Yeah, but they were... It, people called me out on this and they were right. They were like mini hot dogs. They were like half hot dogs that they, they gave they us. They were large. I, I mean, for, for, I had more for than 20 that, of them. I think I had 27. Okay, but I had it over the course of our so three twenty hour show. twenty large hot dogs. This wasn't then. a uh, this twenty-seven was, mini. This dogs. wasn't a Joey Chestnut, you know, eating so, them in two-minute type thing. So uh, the hot dog eating contest. It was also the same day, I believe, that the. It's more about volume, not speed. That's what I'm trying well, to say. Well, we're, I'm going to get to that in a second. Uh, we, you, that was the same day Lance Armstrong's scandal broke. I think. Yeah. 
I think that it, weird day. Remember that day? Yeah, it's a weird show that we remember. Weird day. Um, so you had that. Um, what about um, two months ago? You were putting pickles in your mouth uh, here at Sixth and Peabody, and I would say the cherries are far less awkward today. If you want to go that route, it's not cylindrical. That that's the good news about the cherries. Yes. Uh, they're they're circular. And not cylindrical. That, that's going to help me out a lot in terms of, for video, visual purposes, I won't be putting a cylindrical object in my mouth this time. It'll be cherries. But I do like the festive motif here it's with great. the red and green. Um, it's Look, it's got me in the spirit. I am fired up and ready to go on a big show today. Let's hit the headlines before we get to Bobby Carpenter. Uh, you can join us at Outkick360 on socials. Uh, hit us up in the YouTube chat as well. Just search out and subscribe to Outkick360. Uh, Chad, the soothsayer when it comes to what Louisville wanted to do and what, I mean, if you're a fan of Louisville and you lose, you lose Satterfield and you upgrade by getting Brom, your guy, he's, I mean, he's going, but Jeff Brom, by the way, leaving Purdue to take the Louisville job. And Chad, when you brought it up earlier this week, it made a ton of sense. And the timing of it made sense too, from Brom's perspective, based on where I, don't you feel like Purdue's reached that ceiling with him? Yeah, I would say so. It's an upgrade for Louisville. Now, there's a lot of people speculating, well, Louisville must have known that he was going to take the job, and that's why Satterfield isn't there. But I'm thinking that's, no. that's not a trade you can really work out. What You go to Cincinnati and say, hey, Jeff Brom, our alum, is going to leave his program at Purdue and come to ours, will you hire our coach that we no longer want? This just worked out perfectly. Satterfield, I'm sure, did not feel the love from Louisville. Probably was talking about contract and everything else. Yep. They they finished 7-5, and five, but after a few weeks of this season, his job was very much in jeopardy at Louisville. So he gets a great out where Cincinnati interviews him and he takes that job. He knew the writing was on the wall one way or the other. They weren't going to fire Satterfield after well, this year. Unless, but he also knew that it's one of those moves you get out ahead of the firing squad. Yeah. And that then, could happen a year or two from now. So think about the two coaching perspectives. Both will be expected to win, and you can win at both programs. But Satterfield takes over a Cincinnati program with far larger expectations going into the Big 12, having already been a college football playoff participant a year ago, replacing a guy that was named uh, and, and was considered for several jobs based on what he's done, Luke Fickle at Cincinnati, who goes to Wisconsin. And then meanwhile, you've got Brom who's coming in, replacing a 500 coach and replacing uh, a, a down season where the expectations are um, a, a bit lower, but expectations will be to win and Brom will win. I mean, it's a, it's a win-win for Louisville. Satterfield now uh, enters a, a Cincinnati program where he's got the leverage because they tagged him as the guy that they want to usher them into the Big 12. But far larger expectations based on who you're replacing there. And that's what's interesting here. And on top of it, Louisville was paid $3.5 million for Satterfield to take the job. Louisville gets paid, yeah. and then they can just take that money and hand that bag over to Jeff Brom, conquering hero, returning home. Or to Purdue. I don't know what the buyout is. This is great for Louisville. Look, with what's going on with, uh, with Kenny Payne and that basketball program right now, who's still winless, I think 0-9 is the record right now, maybe 0-8, 0-9. It's about to be 0-9 if it's not. Um, that is a basketball school, historically. And basketball is, I mean, I can't remember many trash heaps as bad as Louisville basketball is right now. So this is a welcome bit of good news for that athletic department. Jeff Brom's an upgrade. 
He's a great offensive coach. He did really yep. good things at Purdue. This is a huge win for Louisville. He played there. He's from there. He played at Louisville Trinity, a prestigious high school in, in the Louisville area. I think this is a great move for Louisville. He's going to do very well in the ACC. And for Cincinnati, it sounded good. We mentioned this, Hutton, when they hired Scott Satterfield. Boy, it looks really good when you can say, we're Cincinnati, and we went an hour and a half down the road or an hour, whatever the distance is. We hired Louisville's head coach away from them. That doesn't look as good today because there's no doubt in my mind Louisville got the better end of all of this, hiring Brom as opposed to Cincinnati, who now is left there with a coach that, while I, I still think Scott Satterfield can coach, the perception is, oh, we got of got the leftovers of what Louisville didn't really want because they got the guy they've wanted for years. Is this Jeff Brom's final stop? Yeah. I'd say so. If that's the case, Satterfield is going to get fired. If yeah, you, I mean, if you I, know I that Brom's ready to leave, right? Satterfield got the best possible <laughs> it, safety it, net that both, he could have yeah, it's crazy. received. Yeah. But it's I, I'm just fighting against this notion that you know, Satterfield was told to leave because they already had an agreement for right. Brom. No, yeah, right. Do I think that influential Louisville people talked to Brom before Satterfield left? or talked to him during the season, and they got some pretty strong assurances that he would leave Purdue this time around? Absolutely. They pulled this off very quickly. They knew Braum was going to leave to return to Louisville. I just don't think... Cincinnati still had to hire Scott Satterfield. Right. So this isn't some... You don't trade with Cincinnati if you're Louisville and say, hey, hire our guy, and uh, forget about Alex Golish or anyone else you're interviewing. Hire him because... We've got the guy we really want, and we don't want this guy, but, oh, we want you There's to have him. No way that Not happened. good enough for us in the ACC, but good enough for you guys moving to the Big 12. No, that's not the way this thing happened. Scott Satterfield did a good job uh, interviewing there and, and apparently doing a very good job in the interview process mm-hmm. to land that gig, but ultimately, we talked with Shannon Terry about the plus-minus in the transfer portal. This is a transfer portal situation. Louisville ends with the plus. Agreed. Uh, Davey Hudson with uh, a, a great note here. Uh, Davey, tell us, uh, you looked up the, the hoop schedule for Louisville. It's 0-8 or 0-9. They're currently 0-8, and, and their next game is against the 1-9 Florida State Seminoles. <laughs> uh, Davey yesterday What's brought up that, that Florida State was 1-9, and, and that blew me away. I'm thinking, is Leonard Hamilton still the coach let's there? Af- let's affect the spread on this game. Leonard Hamilton, Jim Beheim just coaching themselves into retirement. And I mean, a forced retirement. At the Bayheim, now last year and this year, complete slippage within that program. Maybe they turn it around. There's still a lot of time, but boy, I was shocked to see that. But Louisville, um, and they've got a, Davey knows this, they've got a former five-star player in Brandon Huntley-Hatfield who started a good bit at Tennessee yeah. as a freshman and was a contributor. And I'm thinking, how do you have a five-star player on your team, even if you're surrounded by high-level walk-ons at Louisville and you can't beat one scrub opponent in your first eight games? Well, don't they also have a recruit whose dad was hired and they got him from Kentucky, or is it reversed? Remember that story? Well, I'm pretty sure that – I got to look that it's up. It's one way or the it, other it, there. It's flip-flop, but I want to say Kentucky got the coach's son. Which, oh, okay. They got him anyway. I mean, that's even worse. Because like, you almost hire a guy thinking, well, we're going to get this – you know transformational talent because that's his kid and I think the kid went to Kentucky but I'll look up that story Louisville did have a top 25 recruiting class as well like this year those guys are there that's 
uh, yeah, that's – I do not understand how – I mean, I, I – look, I, we like to overly tout our own coaching or GM abilities on this show. I think I might be able to win a game in that first day They've if got I was Florida Louisville's State head coach. Saturday, and they'll host Western Kentucky. They'll host Florida A&M, and then they'll host Lipscomb from right here in Nashville. Hit us up at Outkick 360. Uh, they Chad, open the season, by the way, losing to Bellarmine, which Bellarmine. Yeah, so they got. They I, have, I only know this because I once uh, talked to a girl for a short time who was a student at Bellarmine in Louisville when I went to UT. Bellarmine is like a 3,000 enrollment uh, Catholic school in the I, city I, I of Louisville. Love how you're like, a tiny, this, tiny. This girl allowed me to speak school. to her from Bellarmine. Yeah. Well, she wasn't there when Frank dumped the beer on oh, me. Okay. I think she yeah. was just there at the party that he threatened it. Yeah. That's why she was, I was allowed to speak to her. Um, they've had a tough schedule so far, but they've lost to Bellarmine, Wright State, Appalachian State, Arkansas by 26. They lost to Texas Tech, Louisville did, 70-38. to 38. They scored 38 points in that game, losing by 32. Cincinnati, Maryland, Miami. Not as bad as I thought because... Wright State's typically a pretty good program. Still. The ones that really jump out, they lost by one point to Bellarmine and one point to Appalachian State. Every other game, you can see how they'd be losing. Now, they shouldn't be losing by 25 to Maryland, 19 to Cincinnati, and then 27 to Miami. That's the point differential in those games. And if, if one in seven, one in eight Florida State takes them down. Here's my they, prediction. They may be going on a run here of winless all the way to Kentucky, which is New Year's Eve. Here's my prediction. They get Florida A&M on Saturday, December 17th. That will be their first win of the season. They'll be 0-10 at that point. <laughs> They'll be 1-10 after beating Florida A&M. That's, that's me looking into the crystal ball for that Louisville season. Aaron Judge chooses pinstripes, and he makes a glorious decision. Baseball is better. Major League Baseball is better today. Because Aaron Judge remains a Yankee. And consider the decision that he made where, you know, he's back and forth between the Giants um, and uh, Padres had an offer. And then he chooses the Yankees where the Yankees come back over the top and, and pay him. And, you know, he bets on himself and he wins. He would have won if he had just played this out and took, it, taken the bag uh, and not gone to back to New York. But what he's done is... He has now ensured his legacy as a Yankee. And he has, he has now paired himself with the Yankees for a lifetime. Consider, he's already getting, what, 360? It's nine years, 360. Nine years, 360. And he's 31 years old starting the baseball season whenever uh, the season cranks up. So, you know, the, the 20s are behind him. The Yankees are going to regret the contract at some point. But the pair of Judge with New York, and there's no fog with, oh, is he, you know, he spent this time here and there, and there's no swan song season like we saw with Pujols with the Cardinals. This is, this is now a lifer. Homegrown talent. Aaron Judge stays. And it's, it's rare to say in Major League Baseball especially that it's the right call to just double down and go back to where you were when you may have the grass green on the other side. But in this case, with the brand of Aaron Judge, this is skyrocket for him. And I feel like if he would have gone to the West Coast, we would have seen him as much as we see Shohei Otani or uh, the, 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 it, just any of the West Coast players. 
now that he's staying with the Yankees, he is the face of baseball every single night. And there's value in that. And there's great value in the fans that get to watch him, even if you're not a Yankees fan. I'm, I'm all for this. With all due respect to the San Diego Padres, uh, Aaron Judge on the San Diego Padres is doing Major League Baseball a disservice, quite frankly. Uh, Aaron Judge with the Yankees, you're going to get way more talk nationally with him on the Yankees. It, I think it's way better for Aaron Judge. There, there's just more, there's more tangible value to being a Yankees legend in that market and playing out your career there yes. than there is signing for, you know, what if it's 10 or 15 million more? I, I just think the, the overall value of staying with the Yankees is better than the 10 or 15 million more over nine or 10 years to go somewhere else. Now, it wasn't. The reports are, I'm reading a story from The Athletic that combed through three or four different reporters to get the basics of it. But the offer from the Padres was 11 years, $342 million. And he got nine years, 360. The offer from the Giants was a little bit more. I don't have the exact numbers on it, but still did not match what the Yankees were going to do. And the Yankees came back at the 11th hour and yeah. added more to the yeah. pot. But again, like the brand itself is worth $15 million if you're just going to throw that out there, right? As Absolutely. A, as a flippant number. Yeah. It's, it's great for both. And it's great for Major League Baseball. Also, the side story to this is Aaron Judge, the Yankees, great. Uh, the John Heyman report about arson judge, where he had the autocorrect oh. and it was arson, and then he had to retract it or backtrack from it from the New York Post. <laughs> Hilarious, but the funniest part of it are now the all the jokes about arson judge instead of Aaron Judge, his, his alter ego. But how about the Padres? I mean, they, they give Trey Turner a record-breaking offer. He turns down more money in San Diego to go back to the East Coast and sign with the Phillies. And now it's just, the reports are, well, we'll move on to Xander Bogarts. I mean, they're just going one down the list and saying, here is a bag of cash over $300 million. Will you please sign with us? Because we're going for broke. We will sign any big star that's out there. And I got to say, it's amazing. I like the approach if you're the Padres. So not, not every team could do it, but Mets, I like what they're trying to do. Currently, payroll-wise, Mets, Yankees, one and two right now for next season, as it stands right now. Um, the, the Braves, average the Braves age, are like top five, right? They're going to be, eh, I think they were like 12th last year. They were surprisingly I low. Think they're, I think they're higher based um, on projections today. Yeah, they're going to have to to add someone to the team at some point. They haven't done that yet, or anyone big. Um, the average age of the Mets starting rotation is 34 years old. So they are very, after adding Justin Verlander, um, they are very old in that starting rotation. Experienced, good, talented yeah. for sure, but average age, 34. Great for the regular season until you play Atlanta late. Bobby Carpenter joins us when we return. We're talking college football playoff, the decision to put Ohio State in, and the matchup against Georgia. Former Buckeye joins us next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. From 6th and Peabody, glad you're with us for OutKick 360. Across the OutKick network, if you're listening to this great radio station, we hope uh, you'll let them know that you're tuned in and you can hit us up and let us know where you're listening currently across uh, the Southeast, all the way Illinois to Bama, 
Mississippi and more. Outkick 360 rolls on. Hunting yeah. quickly before we go to Bobby yes. Carpenter, the coaches of votes are in for SEC yes. annual awards. Hendon Hooker sweeps offensive MVP, both AP and coaches. Will Anderson Jr., Defensive Player of the Year from Alabama. Uh, the one difference is Coach of the Year, Kirby Smart, and not Josh Heupel, as voted on by the coaches. Bobby Carpenter joins us. Um, mentioning Will Anderson, Bobby, coming off of last year, Will Anderson, best defensive player in football. You know, there's talk at the Heisman last year that he should have been a finalist. And he's had a quiet year for some reason, but he's been dominant on the field. Uh, curious if you pay, if you're watching him as much as you did last year when Bama's playing. Oh, you got, I think he's muted. He's muted right now. Yeah, so... If you're a defensive player, to be able... You guys got me? Yeah, yep. I got you now. You're good. All right, so the problem is for, you know, Will, is when you're a defensive player, like, you have to be front and center all the time. And if you look at Bama this year, you know, when you suffer a couple losses and you're maybe not, like, in the hunt, yeah. like they always have historically been, that just hurts your visibility. And so you can go on. You can even be a better player, maybe a more impactful player. But, I mean, but the reality is, I mean, the Heisman Trophy is a beauty contest. And if you're not playing on the final Saturday – um, in your conference championship game, and if your final game of the regular season isn't a major consequence, you know, LSU had the thing wrapped up for a while. I don't think there was just enough attention around Bama to draw him in, even though this year he may have been as good or even better than he was last season. Bob, I want to get your take on, on Ohio State from this perspective. They remind me of the storyline of Georgia from last year. Um, you got the Heisman finalist, uh, with Bryce Young playing against Georgia last year in the SEC championship game. And in that moment, the questions going into that game were, can Georgia get over the hump of Bama? This year, it's can Ohio State get over the hump of Michigan? Well, Bama beat Georgia in the championship game in the head-to-head -head matchup we actually saw. Michigan tops Ohio State again. But Georgia last year, Ohio State this year, both get in the playoff in those circumstances. And they have an opportunity based on the, the matchup to right some wrongs that happened in Columbus a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you if you link it up the way I do. I like the matchup. I'm very intrigued by it. I'm picking Georgia. But I, I'm, I'm curious if you think that Ohio State has a an opportunity against Georgia that they didn't show up with against Michigan. Yeah, I, I think that might be accurate. Um, I never really thought about that, Hutton, to, to this point. And, um, you know, it makes a lot of sense. And you know, I think they put so much emphasis on trying to you know, win that game against Michigan. I think that there was a degree of tightness probably from the players and maybe even a little bit from the coaches um, to where maybe you don't play as freely. And, you know, sometimes, you know, a good beating promotes personal growth. And so you get beat up at the end of the game. You, know, you take a look, some self-introspection, which is what I'd hope a lot of those guys are doing in the in the uh, transfer portal. So I'm sure we'll get to that here at some point. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I, you get the chance then for three or four weeks you're playing the t the best team in the country in Georgia. You know, want the defending national champs. They've basically been wired wired number one, and you have the talent to be able to go out there and match up. And so, you know, talking with uh, some people from Georgia, we had Aaron Murray on our uh, uh, XM uh, college football playoff selection show, and you know, I asked him about it, and he's like, "I think we got screwed being Georgia." He's like, "I don't know why they would put Ohio State there." and not put TCU, I mean, and that, that to me, I'm like, he goes, I thought Georgia was, or Ohio State was the second best or best team all season long. So, 
You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes back and forth with that. They've got the talent to be able to play with them. It's just going to come down to execution. George is really good. You're going to have to handle him up front. And, uh, you know, if, you, if you're able to maybe sustain that pass rush a little bit, then maybe you can take advantage of a Georgia secondary that's probably the weakest part of that defense, which you know, is a very, very good defense, but every everybody has a little area that they're susceptible to. And uh, you know, we'll see if Stetson, Stetson Bennett can continue this this run that he's been on for really about a year and a half where he's been playing some really nice football. Let's get your initial reaction to the other matchup, TCU against Michigan. We know the physical nature in the trenches for Michigan. How do you think TCU matches up with that? You know, I, I TCU, they, they'll be able to move the football some. Uh, Max Duggins, I mean, he's a tough dude. Like, he's, he's really talented. Um, but I think you saw against Kansas State, like, if you're going to stay with the run, you know, Kansas State was about to pull away until that fumbled punt. So if you continue to stay with the run, keep pounding on them, keep pounding on them. You know, TCU is a good squad, but, you know, in Michigan, even without Blake Corum, I think they still have the offensive line. And obviously Donovan Edwards is still playing and they've got some other talented backs and JJ McCarthy played out of his mind. And maybe that was the game he needed against Ohio State to kind of put him over the top. You saw him make some plays then against Purdue. I mean, I would like Michigan to win it. I think at one point they opened it like an eight or nine point yes. line. It got bet down very quickly, but I, I believe that Michigan's probably a touchdown better than TCU. Bobby Carpenter with us from SiriusXM. Bobby, you mentioned that transfer portal, a uh, record number of guys going into it. This is not anything that's going to change anytime soon. When you look at the list of names, specifically the quarterback position, just overall, what are your thoughts when you see that many players in the transfer portal and then seeing some of the names of the programs where guys are leaving from? Some may surprise you that are at the top of the list where guys are transferring from. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy when you think about it. I mean, over a thousand. There, uh, there was a bench, basically about you know 130 Division One FBS programs, and so equates to about 11,000 players, scholarship players. You're talking about almost 10 percent of those guys now being in the portal. And believe me, I think the transfer portal can really work. And I'm all for giving guys freedom of mobility and freedom of opportunity. The problem is, is that I don't know if a lot of these guys are mature enough to be able to handle it. And I think some of them get bad information. They listen to the wrong people, people who may not have their best interest truly at heart as far as developing them as a football player and then their trajectory of life of where they're supposed to go and what they're trying to do. And, you know, all these guys are going to get in the portal. And reality is probably a third, maybe up to a half, aren't going to find a place to land. And that's going to be devastating for those guys. And then I look, you know, you look at Devin Leary, like a guy at, at NC State, he was had a lot of success and he was hurt this year. I get it and had some issues, but I mean, you're going to leave a place you went Spencer, Spencer Saunders at uh, Sanders at Oklahoma state. I mean, you've been there. You've been really good when you've been healthy and you know, you're, are you just exploring the opportunity to leave, seeing if you can get a better deal somewhere else? Like, and I, believe me, I'm all for guys making money and doing everything that they can, but there's just some things where I see guys getting in, especially the quarterback position. And I just, I don't truly understand like, are you going to be able to find a better situation? You were at some place where they have a good coaching staff. You have a good program. They've developed you. They've invested in you. You're the leader of the team and you may have a C on your chest. And I get it, man. I'm never going to tell anybody not to maximize their dollars, but at some point, like there needs to be some level of accountability. And, you know, some guys when they may not be playing and they're hopping in there that are, you know, first and second year players who, you know, think there's a better situation somewhere else. 
those are the guys that I really worry about. Because if you didn't play at your first school, unless you're like transferring down and you already have a place lined up, a lot of the reason that you didn't play at your first school is going to follow you. Generally, it's not situational, situationally based. Everyone looks at you know the Joe Burrows, um, you know the Justin Fields, you know guys like that, Jamison Williams, and sees like, oh man, these guys are transferring. It always works out, but the reality is, a lot of times they transfer and it doesn't work out. We're talking about JT Daniels now, potentially going to his fourth school, and you know what? You started at USC. Some as a freshman, you couldn't beat out Stetson Bennett. You go to West Virginia, play pretty well. You know, you're eventually going to get benched at the end of the year. But, I mean, instead of maybe staying and fighting for your job under the same system, like, okay, I'm going to go somewhere else and see if it can be better. You've been to three places already, man. At some point, like, grow where your feet are. And I hate sounding like the super old guy, but we had Eddie on, George on earlier this week. And, like, how do you coach these guys? Like, like how do you how do you challenge people to get better and to improve when their solution to everything is like, ah, eh, you know, maybe you're going to look out the door and go find somewhere else. I mean, Generally, the problem is always the player. There are times where situationally it works, but that's probably 10 to 15, maybe 20%. Most of the time it's, hey, instead of continuing to be entitled my whole life, why don't I decide to you know pick it up and try to go work and try to get something done? So Jeff Brom has had other opportunities to go home and coach his alma mater, and he's not jumped at that opportunity until now leaving Purdue after winning the SEC or the SEC, the Big Ten West and playing in a Big Ten championship game. And he goes closer to SEC territory now as the head coach at his alma mater, Louisville. What do you make of that move, Bobby? And and what direction do you think maybe Purdue will be looking to go in next? It's a good question where Purdue's going to go. Because I think Brom, you know, had him turned around. If you look at this year, I mean, they narrowly lost to Penn State to open the season. They lose a tough one where they just botched the end of the game against Syracuse. I mean, I liked Purdue have a chance to win the West. I thought they'd have a chance to win the West and you know, be like maybe a two-loss team as opposed to ultimately what they were. I think Louisville made out like bandits in this because they got Cincinnati to take Satterfield off their hands. I mean, they were trying to basically get rid of him, and he goes somewhere else. And I don't think he's all that great of a coach. And then you get the guy you really want anyway. And so it appears to be a huge win and a huge coup for them. So Brom gets to go home and have the type of success, hopefully, that he really wants to have there. And, you know, you get Satterfield out of there without having to fire him. So it's it's a huge coup, I think, for Louisville with what they were trying to accomplish. Deion Sanders, uh, this past season, I don't know if many people know this, Mike Zimmer, the former Vikings coach, was an analyst for Jackson State. Uh, Dion is taking him with him to Colorado as his defensive coordinator. I'm curious what you fit, just gut reaction to success. What is success for Dion at Colorado? What do you think actually comes of this hire with the investment in Prime? So I'll tell you this I think Dion Sanders is a smart guy from a standpoint of he's a great promoter. I think he's a great motivator. He's a great CEO head coach. And to do that, he needs to bring great minds around him. Uh, Mike Zimmer, I believe, coached him in Dallas. He's yes. the defensive backs coach. Maybe D coordinator at a point in time. He was the D coordinator my rookie year in Dallas. I have immense respect for Mike Zimmer as a coach who will hold guys to task. As someone on X's and O's, he's really good. Got a little tight and got a little sideways up there with the Vikings at the end. But, you know, I think if he's coaching under Dion, he's perfect. Because he gives them that structure. He knows how to come in and run the defense. And Dion can turn it over to him and say, listen, this is yours, Mike. You've got it. Go own it. 
you know, Dion brought in, uh, I believe, Sean Lewis, the head coach at Kent State, you know, to run their offense. They run a very up-tempo offense. He's done great things at a place that historically it's really hard to win at. And so he's surrounding himself with high-quality people. And if you do that, you have a chance. The second piece is being able to get players. I think Dion has proven that he'll be able to get them. You know, down to Jackson State, that's one thing. Can you get those same guys from the South to ultimately go all the way up to Boulder? Like, that's the question. Or can you get guys in the West Coast footprint? You know, Colorado doesn't have a ton of great football, so you're going to have to go other places. It's a beautiful city. They've got awesome, an awesome tradition. They've been bad for about 20 years. Can you flip that over? I think Dion can. If they're going to invest the dollars in it, then I think he's really got a chance. I want to ask about a couple bowl games, not in the playoff, but that are very good matchups. I want to start in the Rose Bowl. Utah had never been to the Rose Bowl as of last year, their first trip. Now they get back-to-back trips as they're going to take on Penn State. What what do you think of the matchup between those two programs? It's Kyle Whittingham and James Franklin going head-to-head. Well, I think it's two programs that really want to win this game. You know, James Franklin really needed this year. He took advantage of it. They won 10 games. They bounced back. They only lost to Ohio State and Michigan. And winning a Rose Bowl and going 11-2, and two, when you have Aller waiting in the wings, you know, Drew Aller, their, their freshman quarterback, like in a really good young nucleus, like you've got something to really build on and get some momentum going into this next season. Then Utah, I mean, Kyle Whittingham's done, man. They and they and Their players are bought in. They play really hard. And I mean, I... I was talking, I forget to who, about this, doing a million hits. I was like, you know, you go look at two teams about a decade ago that were dying to get into the Power Five. They're both in the Mountain West, and you have TCU and Utah. And I'm like, obviously, TCU made the playoff this year. But you, sh-, I go, who has been more successful with their emergence into the Pac-12 and the Big 12? I'm like, TCU's won it. They've done some things. Utah's won it the last two years. TCU's obviously in the playoff, but... I mean, both of those programs have ascended in an incredible way, and Kyle Whittingham has been awesome since taking over there for Urban Meyer. So it's been very, very impressive what they've done. They play hard, they play smart, and their quarterback's a straight stud and Cam Rising. Like, I love that dude. The shot he took in the face mm. and then just getting up and going and playing. And laughing. I mean, I thought I was targeting. I guess I have no idea what targeting is anymore, <laughs> but good for them not calling it. Good for him getting up. Puts his helmet back on, smiles. And then talk some trash about Caleb Williams painting his uh, fingernails. Another great program matchup is in the Orange Bowl, and it doesn't get much more orange than Clemson and Tennessee in that game. I wish Hinton Hooker was playing in this game and not Joe Milton. Uh, But on the Clemson side, you've got DJ benched. He's in the transfer portal now, and they're going with the freshman in this game. So reasons to watch this game for now, Bobby, but a lot of reasons for both these programs to watch this game for the future with these two quarterbacks because they will be the starting quarterback next season. Yeah, I think it's something that's important to note. Like you said, you're getting a little bit of a preview now. You would have loved to have seen Hennon Hooker in this game. You know, you want to see what Klubnik is. Now DJ's gone. This is going to be your show. And you've got a couple weeks, three, four weeks to be able to prepare this. They just won the ACC. You should feel pretty good about the momentum you have going there. And we talk about it being a down year for Clemson. And it's not what they would have hoped and dreamed for, but losing a couple games – and then ultimately winning the ACC. And if you get a chance to beat a team like Tennessee, who's played really good football this year, uh, you know that'll be big. And then also for Tennessee, you know, with the departure of Alex Golish, you know, how are they going to look offensively? I know Heupel's obviously heavily involved and calls a lot of it, but they still have some other adjustments there as Golish is now down at USF trying to rebuild that program. So you're getting a little bit of a preview here of two teams that 
One had a massive ascension this year and just injuries kind of derailed them. And another one that looked like they were getting back on track. And if they can get their offense going again, I think you feel pretty good about the Tigers as well. Bobby, do you have a Heisman vote? I do. Are you allowed to tell us who you voted for? I don't know. They told us not to reveal it for a couple more days. Um, you know, but yeah, so they told us not to reveal it. It's my okay. first year, guys. I'm trying not to get kicked off after one year. I'm happy that hopefully I would consider myself a football person. Are so your, trying to get more football people on there. Are your top three there in New York? Yes. My top three are there. Okay. How difficult um, was the selection process this year for you? It was it was really hard. I sat there and I tried not to overreact to one weekend of games um, with what guys did. Uh, but all, and then looking at body of work, but then also understanding like, Hey, on the biggest stage, did you go out and perform and play well for your team? You know? And so those trying to balance all that stuff. And I know there's people that are upset that Stetson Bennett's there. And I'm like, listen, did he have like the greatest numbers? No, but he made big plays for his team when they needed him to. And you know, he went and played really well when the moment was to team has needed him. And so, you know, I think he is very deserving of ultimately being there. I mean, I think Max Duggan's done everything you know, that they've asked him to do. Caleb Williams had an opportunity to win it, I think. I mean, I was waiting on Friday night just to be like, all right, I can put this guy in his number one if they go win this game. And he didn't play poorly. You look at his numbers, like it wasn't like he played bad. He just couldn't move. And so he didn't necessarily have that breakout performance that you ultimately wanted to see. So this year, I, I've always wanted one because in the past years, like, boom, I could have rattled three guys off. And I sat there Sunday afternoon staring at my computer trying to figure out, like, okay, I'm going to have to like write some stuff down and try to start talking through this now because I, it's a life-changing opportunity. And I'm one out of however many thousand voters. But I want to make sure that at least if it comes down to the margins that my vote was thought about, it was cared for, and that you know gave the time that these young men deserve. Yeah, and I think you're in the minority there. I, I ranted yesterday about the time and effort that you know I, the vast majority, I think, of these voters spend watching college football you're a, you're a lifer with it. I know you're watching coast to coast. Well, I don't think the majority of these voters do that. If you're not watching at least 200 games a year, um, you know, then there, there's something going on. Wait, maybe that's not it. Not 200. Um, whatever. What do you have? You know, four, you know, 12 weeks, two games, you know, probably four games a Sunday, maybe close to a hundred games. Yeah. Like consuming not 200, close to a hundred games that I watched most or all of. I mean, I'm getting a good, four or five games in each Saturday, probably some Thursday night, watching some Friday night. It's like, that's the only way to do it justice that you can kind of see everybody. And also like, you know, try to stay up and watch the pack, the pack 12 stuff. I know they talk about the bias, but I'm like, listen, there's some good players out there and you want to make sure you have a chance to watch them. So I try to take that thing seriously. People that turn their vote in early before the final week, like I have zero respect for you doing that. Cause that's just lazy to me with you. B-Carp 3 is where you can find him, and you can also find him on SiriusXM. It's Channel 84, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, with us each Wednesday. We appreciate you, man, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Yes, sir. Yes, have right. a good Thanks, one. Thanks, Bobby. Yeah, Bobby Carpenter with us Wednesdays in the uh, first hour. We've got Clay Travis coming up uh, in about, what, hour and a half or so, roughly. Uh, he'll be with us. Looking yep. forward to that conversation. When we come back, primary complaint on Outkick 360.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now Kick 360 rolls on. This from Brett McMurphy as we get set for primary complaint. Um, just real quick, Chad. Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren uh, says that they're open to having both first round and quarterfinals on campus sites in the 12-team playoff. So two rounds on campus. Warren said it's going to be, quote, wonderful, or would be wonderful, not will be, would be wonderful. Quarterfinals are set for the bowls in 2024-2025. So the earliest that they could review the structure of the on-campus 2026 thing would be 2026. So we could see the first two rounds on campus, which would be awesome. Bring it on. Yeah, unbelievable. It's time for primary complaint. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for Primary Complaint on Outkick 360. My primary complaint today, the Tennessee Titans. A weak attempt at explaining or really not even trying to explain why John Robinson was fired. Little more than a statement from controlling owner uh, owner Amy Adams Strunk, who wasn't available to the media to take questions today. Um, The president of the team, Burke Nihill, was not available to the media either. The voice of the team is Mike Vrabel, who... Tried to act like he did, couldn't remember if Amy Strunk was in the room when they traded A.J. Brown. He, she was. It's on camera. And it's just bizarre to me that they will not address the elephant in the room on a day where the questions are going to be about why they fired their general manager for a 7-5 and team, leader of the AFC South, and in the middle of December and not after the results are final. That's my primary complaint. Completely and utterly ridiculous. Also completely and utterly ridiculous is my primary complaint, which is parents who turn their social media profile picture into pictures of their children either shirtless or in swimsuits. And I'm not talking about little kids. I'm talking like college age, young adult high school age kids. Awkward age. And I've seen this from at least three different people that their profile picture on Twitter, on Instagram, or on Facebook is not a picture of themselves or their entire family. It is a picture of either their son shirtless and ripped up or their daughter in a very small bikini or both of them together. I find this to be quite odd. As the father of two daughters, I can guarantee you my avatar and my profile pic will never be my teenage daughters in swimsuits. Please, let's stop this. Let's make it go away. And that's my primary complaint. Corey Taylor next up for primary complaint on Outkick 360. Thank you, guys. It's so good to be with you all again on this wonderful show. Um, Mine is about Smokey the Bear. I grew up loving Smokey the Bear. My childhood, I remember seeing the fire rating on the sign. (laughs) And now I saw the other day that they have let Smokey the Bear go in all of British Columbia. He has been retired after 80 years. I got a photo I, I submitted I wanted you to see. Yes. Now they have a Dollar General Pokemon Pikachu 
version of him that they're calling Ember the Fox that is supposed to help make awareness for fire more inviting to young kids and stuff, and I just hate it. So, yeah, this is awful. This is the worst. I'm glad you brought this to our attention. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's... This uh, is like Mr. Peanut getting killed off on the Super Bowl commercial. I love how upset and passionate Corey is about Smokey the Bear, because I, I kind of agree with him. Uh, I mean, of all of the mascots for any type of movement, do you know of any other one besides Smokey the Bear? Is there some big push to push out Smokey the Bear? Don't know it. I don't. Is is there a mascot Ember for the you know Fox? for not drinking and driving? Do they have a mascot that we don't know about? I mean, Canada. I mean, of all the PSAs out there about stopping forest fire, we know Smokey the Bear. We don't know any other mascot or anyone attached to it. We know Smokey the Bear. Yet someone thought that's not good enough for them. I used to like Canada. You know, it just keeps going down and down. <laughs> <laughs> I never liked Canada. So Corey Taylor bringing it. I up. do like. I take that back. If you go to Buffalo, New York. Mm-hmm. And you go to Niagara Falls. I do love the Niagara Falls side on Canada way better than the American side. The, the, the Canadian side of the falls is far superior. They have high-rise casinos. They've got better hotels. Way better. That's the one area. That and maple syrup. That's where Canada wins. But certainly not with the elimination of Smokey the Bear. So um, Terrible decision. Todd McShay is complaining about Jackson Smith in, in Jigba. And... Whether or not he's truly hurt, injured, and the, the the status for the college football playoff for Ohio State. Dive into that. Jeff Brom to Louisville, and Von Miller headed to injured reserve for the rest of the season with an ACL injury. We'll discuss the impact of that for the Buffalo Bills. It's official; he's not returning this season. We'll return in a matter of minutes. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network live at Six and Peabody.